Well, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter 1. And we'll be picking up in verse 35. John 1, 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he was walking and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated meaning, means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Now Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come. And see, and Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, to, said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father God, each time I come before your word, I'm humbled. I'm humbled because... I come not before an ideology, but before the testimony of a God who is. A God whose fingerprint is upon the pages of history, and I'm, I'm reading that, and I'm reading about who you are, and what you have done, and what you are continuing to do. Remind us again of the gospel. Remind us again of your character, of your nature. Show us what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Pray that you would push away any preconceptions that we have, any, any ideas that we have as we look out upon the, the, the culture and the Bible belt that we live of, well, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus because this is what everybody's doing. May we look at your word. May we look at these early disciples. May we look at Christ and we ask the question, am I seeking him? May your spirit do its work in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, if you've come this morning and you're excited because we're going to finish the, the first chapter of John, I'm sorry we're not. I got into this and told Alan I'm going to cover verses 35 through 51, and he said, okay, go ahead. And I, I texted him the other evening and said, Alan, I've bitten off more than I can chew. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pull it off. There's, just, there's, too, there's too much here. Um, particularly with Nathaniel and, and, and Nathaniel's confession um, and, and, and how Jesus responds to that. There's, just, there's too much there to just gloss over. Um, so I'm just going to cover verses 35, uh, 35 to 45. And, um, and then we'll, we'll pick up and we'll deal with Nathaniel alone next week. Um, 
So uh, I, I, uh, I apologize if you expect to finish this chapter. We're going to spend mo- one more week in it, but I, I promise you this will, will be fruitful. Um, yeah, that's right. We got time. <laughs> so uh, wh- what I'd like to do this morning, I, I want to introduce you to some of these first disciples. Um, I- it's worth spending some time with them because there's some of these that they're only mentioned a few times in Scripture. Um, and and they, they sort of take a back seat. And, and so it's worth spending some time with them. So I want to do that this morning. Um, this morning's message is probably going to be a little different than it normally is. Um, we're not going to dive into particularly one specific theological uh, truth and dive in real deep. Um, we're just going to walk through these, these uh, scripture verses and, and let, let the Lord introduce us to these disciples. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of peel off and we'll, we'll look at them broad spectrum where else we see their characters in scripture and, and specifically how these individuals come to meet Jesus and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And, and looking um, sort of at this language of come and see. Come and see. Um, so we'll, we'll pick up in verse 35, but just to recap, as we've been going through John um, we've, we've met with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was paving the way for Jesus. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets, and he's coming on the scene, and he's paving the way for Jesus. He's saying, one is coming of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie the thong of. No. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. Be on the lookout. He's preaching a baptism, or he's, he's preaching a message of repentance and baptizing people. Um, and he's encouraging them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's not exactly a popular guy with the religious elite. Okay? So this is, this is John the Baptist. And so we pick up in verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed him. So John is in the, in the wilderness. He's baptizing. Jesus had just come and been baptized and the, the next day Jesus is still in the in the area um, and you, you can you can imagine he's kind of creating a buzz I mean John's John's ministry is pointing to this guy and now he's here and he's been baptized and he's still hanging around and John sees him walking by and he points to him and he says the Lamb of God and, and Alan spent time last week uh, unpacking that the, the the Lamb of God language and where it comes from in the in the Old Testament um, and, and specifically that John didn't say here's the Lion of the tribe of Judah here's the King here's the sacrificial Lamb that that immediately gives stark contrast to what what the Jews were expecting at that at that point and so John the Baptist is here with two of his disciples one is Andrew who we meet a little bit a little bit later and the other is John the Apostle. Now it's not mentioned there all the commentators agree that's John the Apostle um, and, and what's interesting is through John's gospel he never had specifically identifies himself but in the context of a lot of passages you see this is the disciple this is this is John the Apostle and it's interesting because in John's gospel John wants to put the focus specifically on Jesus and not on himself which is interesting in line with what we do see actually of his character which we'll get into in a little bit so John the Baptist is standing with John the Apostle or John who will future be the Apostle and Andrew and he he points to Jesus and he says the behold the Lamb of God now it's interesting to know the language that's there John is standing and he points to Jesus walking John's ministry is coming to an end. He's pointing to Jesus. Jesus is now here. Jesus has been baptized. Jesus is walking. The baton is being passed, in essence. The man whose message is, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, is now, he's here. He's here. He points to to the Lamb of God, and the disciples follow this is the close of this is this is starting the close of John's ministry. You will find later in John that John continues baptizing, but it's starting the close of uh, of his of his ministry in in regard to paving the way for Jesus. But he's passing the John and so, uh, he's passing the baton, and so Andrew and John follow Jesus. Now now there's no conflict here with uh, uh, with Rabbi John the the Baptist in, in a sense. 
Um, but you can imagine that there would be. I mean, put yourself in, in, in this leader's shoes. Now, there's, there's got to be the temptation. He's been, he's been, he has disciples around him. Now these two disciples are leaving. There's got to be the temptation to go, well, well, I want you to stick around. Now, when we read about John the Baptist, we don't get that that's, that's his, that's his uh, mode of operandi. That, that's not his... That's not his drumbeat, right? John's drumbeat, drumbeat is he must increase, I must decrease. But he's human, right? Th- there's, there's the temptation there. And there's a point of application for us, right? The letting go of the ones that we love and that we've invested time in to do the work of service that they're designed for, right? That, that's that's John, John's, John's, John's handing people off. Right? How, how easy is it for us that the Lord puts people in our life? Maybe that's a friend, that's a coworker, that's a family member. Maybe that's our children. And, 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 and we invest time in them. We pour into them. E- even with, with good biblical direction on what the best for you, I want you to thrive and want to help you through this situation. I want to pour into you. And then it's time for them to leave. And, and there's the temptation to lay hold and say, well, no, 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 I want you to stay. I don't, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to move away. I don't want you to go to school. I don't want you to st- start life. A child that says, well, I'm, I'm going to Afghanistan to be a missionary. You can't go there. You're going to get killed. There's the, the work of service. And it, it, it brings us back to the scripture. It says, what is it that we're designed for? Relationships are not designed for our comfort. They're not trophies that we set up on the shelf and say, look who I've touched. The Lord puts people in our life for a season. Maybe that's years, maybe that's months, maybe that's days. Speak gospel there. Lord, do your work here. Use me as you see fit to point people to Jesus. And when it's time for them to go, give me the grace to let them go. That's a hard thing, but that's what we see with John. John poured into these, these disciples. We don't know how long they were, they were there. You know, they, 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 these, these fishermen, for that's what they were, took a sabbatical likely from their, from their jobs fishing. They'd heard about this John the Baptist character, and, and they, were see, they, were, they were devout Jews. So they, they came, and one of they were amongst many in this region who came and wanted to see, what's this John the Baptist guy about? And they stuck around and they got close to John. John poured into them. And now he sends them, now he sends them away. So being able to let go of those we love for the work of service that we're intended for. So we meet John and we meet Andrew and they go and they follow Jesus verses 38 and 39 and Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them what do you seek now it's interesting that Jesus says what do you seek not who do you seek what do you seek Jesus is speaking to their hearts Right, Jesus already knows what's in man. In John chapter 2, we'll, we'll read that, that. That Jesus doesn't entrust himself to all these people who are coming after him because he knows their hearts. He knows that many, if I could draw that out, I bold that word, many will come to him with wrong motives. And so he says, what is it that you seek? Why, what is it that you want from me? He asks what, and they respond essentially with who. They say to him, where are you staying? Now, they weren't necessarily interested in his property. He's not, he's not li- living somewhere. He's staying somewhere. We're not told where he was staying. What is it that they're asking him? Imagine G- Jesus, is, he's kind of a popular guy right now. You know, this is the one John's been pointing to, and now this guy's here. There's crowds already kind of getting around him. John and Andrew want to know, where, where's your place of rest? Where are you staying? We'd like, we'd like just personal fellowship time with you. We, we, we just we want some one-on-one time with you. you know, notice what they don't say. We want to see a miracle. Well, you know, we'd love for you to get us more fish. 
You know, it's kind of a dry season. We like more fish. Can, can you do that? You know, they don't ask to be healed of anything. They, they don't ask. They don't ask for things. They ask for him. And this sets the tone for the overall umbrella of this morning's message. Because Jesus says to them, come and you'll see. He doesn't say, come see the house I'm staying in. It's pretty cool. Come, come. And I'll show you who I am. Come and I'll show you who I am. Genuine hearts. Genuine seekers. Genuine comers to Jesus produce genuine disciples. Genuine seers. Genuine finders. This is the language you see in, this, in the end of this, uh, of this section. Those who come to Jesus with a genuine heart. And that's not a, that's not a pure heart. Because as we look at these disciples, we're going to find they're, some of them are pretty messed up. In fact, all of them have issues. They're a ragtag bunch of hooligans, really. A- and yet Jesus looks at them and goes, there is soil right there in which the gospel can grow. Come follow me. Genuine hearts produce genuine disciples. Can I say it one more time? Genuine hearts produce genuine disciples. John and Andrew fought, sought personal fellowship with Jesus. So we want to know more about you. John's been saying you're the Lamb of God. That, you, that, that you're taking away the sins of the world. How does that work? It says that, that it was about the 10th hour, which depending on the calendar system, you know, it's either 10 a.m. or it's early, or like mid-morning or it's later part of the afternoon. I think most scholars will say it's probably mid-morning because Andrew's got to go find Peter, bring him back. I mean, there's a lot that has to take place there. So say mid-morning, they spend the rest of the day with him. What do they do? Now, I don't know. I mean, I can speculate, but if they're having time with Jesus, I would, I would venture to guess he's probably probably unpacking a lot of the Old Testament, you know, with them. The, these guys were, were studiers of the Old Testament. They're probably asking him questions, and, 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 he, and he is revealing himself to them. More on that in a minute. But let's pause for, for a second for application. Our application is just going to kind of come throughout. What do you seek in following Jesus? Do you seek him... For his sake alone? Because he's glorious? Because of as you read the scriptures, you see more of the depths of who he is and what he came to do and the impact on everything? Or do you seek him for some other motive? Do you come to Jesus? And I'm not talking about just salvifically. I mean daily. Do you come to Jesus because you say, Lord, I, w- I want to be where you are. I have real struggles real doubts I want to follow you and I, w- I want to be where you are show me more of yourself show me more of yourself here so that as I'm doing life in the trenches in the midst of the world I can see your fingerprint out there and I can be involved in the work that you're in and so that I can see that this is not just a dusty book but it's a testimony of what you're doing throughout history and you're doing it now Help me to be involved in it. Do you, do you come to him like that? Because I want you glorified, Lord. You're worthy of glory. Or do you come to him like a genie? I want you to do something for me. What's your motive? Why? What do you seek when you seek Jesus? We must move on. So next we meet specifically Andrew. Verse 40 says, one, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, now it's interesting, isn't it? Andrew is introduced before we even meet Peter. He's inter- introduced as Simon Peter's brother. So now, I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but if, you ha- if you're a younger sibling and you grew up in school, and I'm seeing smiles, so you know where I'm going. You probably, when you got to like third grade, you know, it's, oh, you're so-and-so's younger sister or younger brother. That, that kind of followed you, you know, is, is you walked in the shadows of the older sibling for better or for worse. 
And this was this was this was Andrew. You know, a- Andrew, when we meet Andrew within within scripture, he's the brother of Peter, and Peter takes he, he takes the limelight. Peter's the bold, brash one, you know, he's the outspoken one. Uh, maybe he's the firstborn, I don't really know, you know, but he's yeah, he, he's the one that takes center stage. And and Andrew kind of Andrew's in the shadows. Andrew, in a sense, plays second fiddle. Andrew's name means manly, by the way. I, I like that. You know, the, here's a guy that's playing second fiddle, and yet he's still he's manly. You know, he's not an emasculated man. He's a he's a manly man. He's a fisherman, right? You know, he probably looks like Jamie, and you know he he catches fish with a net. Big burly guy, but. <laughs> <laughs> But Andrew, John MacArthur says this of, of Andrew. He says, Andrew is more a silhouette than a portrait on the pages of, of Scripture. You know, he's only mentioned nine times in the, uh, in the entire New Testament, several of which he appears in a list of the, of the disciples. But there are a few instances where we actually get a glimpse of his character. This is where I want to I kind of step away from John just briefly and introduce you more to, to his character. Because ag- again, when we see, the, we see a little bit of the character of the disciples, we, we get a sense of just how phenomenal Jesus is when he brings these people together and says, I'm going to pour into you and I'm going to change the world through your testimony. So one thing we see about Andrew is that and Andrew brings people to Jesus. He, he's, not, he's not the primary, you know, outspoken vocal guy, but he brings people to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. This is first. After, after John and Andrew has spent the day, just Jesus pouring into him. the overflow of that is, I've got to go get my brother and introduce him to Jesus. Right? I've got to go get, go, go get my, my next of kin, and, and he's got to meet this guy. So Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and, and, and Peter then is, uh, is, the, um, is essentially the head of the New Testament church. I mean, he's the one that's leading the church in Jerusalem. He's the one that preaches at Pentecost. He's the one that Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. More on that in a minute. So, so Andrew brings Peter to, uh, to Jesus, um, in John 6, Jesus is feeding the 5,000, and he poses the question, you know, let's, let's feed everybody. And Philip, who again, we're going to meet here in a minute, and says, well, we don't, we don't have enough food, we don't have enough money. And yet it's Andrew who, who brings the little boy, and says, well, this little boy has fish, and he has bread. He brings, he brings the boy to Jesus. In John 12, Greeks are coming to Jesus. They, they want to meet Jesus. And Jesus, who has come to the lost sheep of Israel, Jesus' ministry is about you know, Israel right here. That's who he's come to. But Greeks want to meet with Jesus. And it's Andrew and Philip, interestingly enough, who bring them to Jesus. It, it seems as though a- Andrew, Andrew is comfortable just bringing people to meet Jesus. Just bring them, bring them to Jesus. Right? He, he, doesn't, he, sees, he maybe sees some kind of the absurdity as a little boy that's got a little lunch. What's it going to do? You know? But he recognizes there's no person, there's no gift that's too small and insignificant when it's put in the hands of the Creator. And there's a point for us there. Oftentimes when we think about personal evangelism, we think, I've got to have the right words. I've, I've got to have the right, you know, track system down. I've got to have the right sales pitch. Or, uh, you know, I've got to have the right circumstances. All of these things have to be in place. Whereas Andrew just said, let's, let's bring him to Jesus. Let's br- br- bring him to Jesus. Didn't try and pinpoint every little thing. Didn't have the, didn't have the voice that Peter had, but he had heart for just bringing people to Jesus. What does that look like in your life? What does it look like where you see people say, that person needs Jesus, and you introduce them to him? Maybe it's, 
Maybe it's over coffee. Maybe that's in the, in the hospitality of your own home. Maybe that's through a missional community. Maybe that's here. We can't overemphasize the importance of personal evangelism as bringing people to the Savior. There's also another point of application there as far as contentment. Remember, Andrew's, he's not the, he's not, he doesn't take the first place like Peter does. He's more of a behind-the-scenes labor. He, he's a perfect example of what Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 6, working not by the way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Oftentimes, I, I think we feel, well, I'm insignificant. You know, I'm not, I'm not taking this particular position, or I'm not leading this, or I'm not, I'm not the Peter, you know? I'm not, I, don't, I don't have this position. But we see with Andrew that there's value there. There is infinite value. Peter would not be Peter without Andrew. You know? And that's not for Peter's sake. And Andrew brought him there. And he was content with it. I'm reminded of Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. The relationship between Jonathan and David. Jonathan was, was seated to be the next king, and yet biologically... And yet it was David who was going to take that throne. And Andrew was, uh, not Andrew, uh, Jonathan was perfectly fit to support David. To go out to him into the, in the field in his time of need, meet his needs and support him. There was no rivalry there. Jonathan was perfectly fit to serve and was content with it. Not that one took more glory than the other. But each one is fit in the, the work of God as God has laid a purpose for. So where are you in your serving in Christ? And the, the place that the Lord has you. Are you are you content? Is there work that the Lord is has for you? And you're you're looking for something bigger that in your mind is, is better. And the Lord has laid something else before you and said, this is where I need you. This is where I need you. So we meet Andrew. He has a heart for people. wants to bring people to Jesus. He's not, uh, he, he's not the, the boisterous man that his older brother is. We meet Andrew. And then we meet John and Peter. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time with either of these because we're going to see a lot more of them as we move through John. But just briefly, let me kind of give you a little bit on John and, and Peter. Um, John was one of the sons of thunder. He and James were brothers. They were fishermen. Um, John had moments of boldness and zeal. There's, instant, uh, there's a, a time when he and James want to call down fire from heaven to burn a bunch of rebellious people. Um, he and, and, uh, and James and, and several of the others argued over who would be first. If I'm not mistaken, it was actually John and James's mother who came to Jesus and said, I want you to put my sons first in your, in your kingdom. But when John was humble, and we see this in his gospel, he was gentle and he was a comforter. He's the, the one who's, who, who's titled as the, one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's a closeness in relational context between John and, and Jesus. So that at the Lord's Supper, he reclined on Jesus. He was close in, in proximity you know, to him, but relationally, very much so there. When, when we read about him later in the New Testament in his letters, he has a very, he's a fatherly type pastor using very familial type language in his letters, writing of children and sons daughters he's, he's, he's using this type of language tradition writes of john that in in his older years later uh not long before he was in prison and died he was heard continually saying to his congregation love one another love one another we see love as a theme that runs through john's letters so so you you see in in him that contrast of of this bold brashness but also this Humble gentleness when the Spirit gets a hold of him. And with Peter, 
Andrew came to Peter and he says in verse 41, we found first uh, Simon said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated meaning Christ. As a footnote, John's, most of John's uh, um, um, audience is Gentile. That's why he's translating these uh, these these Greek, uh, these uh, these these Hebrew words because he's, tra- he's translating this for a Gentile audience. So, G, uh, Andrew brings Simon, his brother, to Jesus, and he says, and Jesus looked at him, and says, "You're Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter." Simon was his that was his Jewish name, but the Lord changed his name. Said you're going to be called Peter, and we're not going to track this down. But you can see instances in the Scripture where God changes a person's name because something's about to happen that's a change that indicates a change in their character, change in who they are. And it's interesting when you follow si- the 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 Lord's use of Simon versus Peter when He's talking to to Simon and Peter. You see that His character corresponds with the name that's being used. Simon was known for being a hothead. You know, he was volatile. He, he would be the first to speak, and he'd also be the first to be told, you're wrong. You're an idiot. Shut up. No. He, he, he would just, he, he'd just speak, shoot from the hip, and go, oh, dear, I shouldn't have said that. Let's build a tabernacle for you, Lord. Nope, don't want to do that. No. He would speak like that. He would speak for the group oftentimes. Um, but this was, his, this was his character. Um, you know, this is kind of a little bit of a dangerous person to put in a primary leadership position because it's like when they, when they get up to speak, you're going, oh dear, what are they going to say? You know, um, and yet that's who Jesus said, you're going to lead my church. And, and, and Jesus told him, I mean, your, your name's going to be Peter, which translate, which means rock. It's Petros. It means rock. And you see this, this dynamic of this volatile kind of hot-headed guy. And then when the Spirit gets a hold of him, He's a stable foundation. You see, Jesus saw into his heart. That's what he was telling them. He says, I see you, Simon. I see your volatility. I I, I, I see the character magma that's welling up within you. But I'm going to harden that. I'm going to make it into a stable foundation for the church. It's a promise of grace of what God would do in his heart. And there's a lesson for us there too. I know. We may look within our in ourselves and go, there's, there's just there's so much ugliness here. That, that, that Lord, what can you do with that? This is you let me take care of that. I don't think it's any coincidence that Peter later, when he when he writes his first epistle, he writes and he, he calls all believers living stones. You're being built up as living Petros, living stones. The Lord is doing in you the very same thing that he's done in me and is continuing to do. Peter had a genuine heart. And because he had a genuine heart, the Lord molded and shaped him to be what he intended him to be. And we see this with both Peter and John. You know, with both Peter and John, here are two volatile men. That when you, you want to put them in, into a group and say, you're going to change the world, any CEO would look at that and go, that's a bad idea. Let's not, let's not do that. And yet Jesus says, come follow me. He says, later I will make you fishers of men. So verse 43 and 45. The next day he purposed to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found, of, found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So in verse 43, he says, The next day he purposed to go to Galilee. Now, if you're a thoughtful reader and you're, you're familiar with the Gospels, you, you might at this point, if not beforehand, go, Well, wait a minute, there's a slight discrepancy here. What, what's, what's happening? Where is Jesus' temptation in the wilderness? Because John doesn't mention it. There's 40 days and 40 nights there where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't mention it. Furthermore, in, in the other Gospels, Jesus meets these four men, J- uh, James, John, Andrew, and, uh, and, and Peter, fishing. 
And he says, follow me. So which one is it? I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. Um, bring up that, that picture, if you would. I have, I have more of this. If, if you have questions on this, you struggle with it, let me know. Um, but just, just very simply, let me kind of help you out. I think this is helpful, particularly for us as, you know, if you have questions, but also if you're talking with people, we'll go, we'll see their errors in the Bible. You know, and this may be one place where you, where you could come to that. But there's actually harmony here. So let me tell you this. Let me, let me paint this picture. So John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness. John and, uh, John and Andrew and James and uh, J- John and James and Andrew and Peter, uh, who are fishermen and, and obviously fish together uh, in Capernaum, they hear about Jesus, or they hear about John and what he's doing, and they take a sabbatical from, their f- from fishing, and they go to see what's going on with, you know, with, John, with John the Baptist. They're, they're clearly, they're devout Jews, they're studiers of the Old, Old Testament, they're anticipating the Messiah, and John is coming and saying, he's coming, he's coming. And so they hear about this, and they say, look, we're going to take a break, take a sabbatical, we're going to go see what's going on here. They do, and they get closer to John, and in the meantime, in the midst of that, Jesus comes from Nazareth. He comes down to be baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, you can see in this picture, if you can see it, Sea of Galilee is up top, and uh, Jerusalem is kind of down here. All right, now I've got arrows, if you can see it. Jesus comes down from Nazareth. Now, down here in the bottom where the arrows are, that's the traditional side of Jesus' baptism, which is uh, across the Jordan from Bethany. There's also another view that says it may be up here, like halfway um, between between that area and the Sea of Galilee. Um, but either way, you know, you're, th- you're 30 miles or more from where Cana, uh, Cana and Capernaum are. Um, so they've traveled down this way. Jesus comes down. Jesus is baptized. Um, Jesus is baptized. And then he meets these disciples the day after his baptism. And this is, is, is essentially their conversion call. This is their introduction to Jesus on a personal level where they believe this guy's, this guy's the Messiah of the Old Testament. Now, the full implications of that, it's going to take years for that to work out. Okay? But this is where they first are introduced to him on that, on that personal level. So that happens. Um, and uh, I lost my place. <laughs> that happens, and then afterwards, Jesus intends to go to Galilee. The, the, the phrase there. In uh, verse, verse 43 is that he purposed to go to Galilee. He intended to. Right? And so he, he begins to make this trajectory and move back up towards Galilee, which is actually a region. He goes back and probably hits Nazareth first. But it's during this time that Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. He's tempted in the wilderness during that time. And then he finds Philip. And Philip finds Nathaniel. And it's to them that he says, come follow me. This is early in the stages of Jesus' uh, public <laughs> ministry in the, in the area of Galilee. And so he's in, Na- he's in Nazareth um, several days. Um, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says the third day was the wedding feast in, uh, in Cana. Um, so that's probably two days after he's in this area. He gets word of this feast, and he and Nathaniel and and uh, um, and Philip and perhaps perhaps others go as well. Um, and then it's after that that he moves to Capernaum, and then you have the call to service with John and uh, and Andrew and Peter and and James. And so when Jesus leaves Galilee and he's tempted in the wilderness, the f- the four core disciples they've not been called into service. They've met with Jesus, and he's doing his thing, and they're, they're going back to, uh, to, to fish. And then Jesus later gets back around to Capernaum, and he sees, he sees them. He specifically goes to them, and he tells them in the boats, come and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, they've already met with him. Well, okay. They drop their nets, and they go. So I, I think you see in, in that there's not a discrepancy there. There's a harmony there. There's a harmony there where you see the value of the different perspectives being given of the ministry and life of Jesus where not everyone emphasizes exactly the same thing. Each, each, uh, each human writer said, this is what I want to convey. And through that, the Holy Spirit gives us a, a fuller picture of who Jesus is. 
rather than just one person going, all right, here's a systematic theology here. You're getting personal eyewitness accounts um, uh, of Jesus and his ministry. So I just wanted to show you that because, like I said, I think it's helpful, especially when we read things and we go, well, wait a minute. There seems to be a disconnect here of timeline or what's actually happening. Um, so if you have more questions on that, let me let me know. Um, you know, I can I can kind of help help work through that. Uh, we can work through that together. Um, but we, we got to move on. Um, so we go to Philip and we'll finish with Philip. So Philip. Uh, says the next day he purposed to go to Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him follow me. What's interesting is this is the first disciple that Jesus purposely seeks out. That Jesus purposely seeks out. And, and it, rem- it, should, it should remind us people come to faith in Christ through different ways. You're right? Not, not everybody comes through a big evangelistic uh, I- um, uh, event. Not everybody comes to Christ through a personal one-on-one witnessing encounter. No, um, in, in that ways. Look at Jay, look at John and Andrew. They came and and they were introduced to Christ through a preacher, through John the Baptist. Look at Peter. Peter came to meet Christ through the testimony of his brother Andrew. Look at Philip. Nobody came to Philip and said, "Hey, go meet Jesus." Jesus sought him out. No. Your testimonies of, of people who, who have heard about Jesus and the Lord just opens their eyes one day. Maybe they're reading the scriptures on their own. The Lord's been doing work to bring them to, to himself, but the Lord opens their eyes and they come to faith in Jesus. Now that's never apart from the testimony of who he actually is. But it should show us that Everybody's got a different story. And all of the stories testify to the glory of God in saving people. So we have Philip, and two things about Philip. One, he had a seeking heart, right? He, he was seeking the Messiah. He, when he goes and he, he, and he talks to Nathaniel, who we'll, we'll meet next week, he says... He says, we found the one of whom Moses in the Old Testament spoke about. Clearly, he'd been, he'd been a studier of the scriptures. He knew what was written. And he said, this is the guy that, that we've been looking for. He was seeking Jesus. And he wasn't seeking this concept of, well, this is who I think God is. He was going to the revelation of God and saying, God, show me yourself so I can see you. So I want to see you for who you are. I want to make up some fabrication of of who you are that fits with current culture. I want to know who you are. He was a genuine seeker. But he also had an evangelistic heart. He was compelled to tell others about him. It's interesting that Jesus found Philip, and yet Philip goes and says, Nathaniel, we've found. I mean, here's compatibilism, right? Here's the sovereignty of God saving Philip, and and Philip saying, I found Jesus, right? You know? I'm not going to say it can work all those out, but here's just another instance where we see the sovereignty of God and the will of man being compatible in Scripture. It's, it's there. So Jesus, so um, Philip had an evangelistic heart. Um, he, uh, he, was, he was the one who, the Greeks came to Philip, and Philip took the Greeks to Andrew and to introduce them to Jesus. He went to Nathaniel. He also had a, a, a mind for details and um, an and organization for protocol. In John 6, um, same, same, uh, same story where, uh, where Jesus is going to feed the 5,000, and he specifically points out to Philip, and he says, feed the people. <laughs> and and Philip, Philip's, he's the guy that can do math in his head. You know, he, he's like, all right, 5,000 men, there's, there's all these women, and it's going to take... No, 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 no. So many denarii, so many days' wage isn't sufficient to feed all these people. You know, he's looking at the logistics of it and going, no, not going to happen. You know, it, it can't happen. And yet it's Andrew who has the eyes of faith and says, well, here's a little boy with fish and bread. The Greeks also, the Greeks come to, to Philip, who Philip was probably the organizer of the logistics for, for the group and everything. And, and so the, the Greeks come to, uh, to Philip and they say, we want to see Jesus. Philip's going, oh boy. 
let me pull out my, my manual here for our group. Yeah, there's nothing in here about protocol from, for taking Greeks to Jesus. You're, you're unclean people. Well, we want to see Jesus. They're genuine seekers. Uh, let me go get Andrew. <laughs> so he goes and gets Andrew because he knows Andrew. Andrew knows how to deal with this. Andrew's good with people. You know, he's good about taking people to Jesus. And I don't know how to follow the procedure. So, you know, maybe Andrew knows. And so Andrew and Philip, they take the, them to Jesus. And, and Jesus meets with them and he speaks with them. And that's in John 12. It's another story. You know, I find, I, I think when we read about the, di- the disciples, we, we see a lot of ourselves in them. You know, there was, a, there was a while when I thought, I'm like Andrew. I'm very much like Andrew. And I think I was for one point, but now, I- even in just studying, I'm like, I- I'm Philip. I'm, I- I'm, I- I'm, f- I'm Philip, you know. Um, John MacArthur calls Philip the bean counter, you know. He's the, he's the detail kind of guy, um, you know. That's just in my, in my nature. It, just a, a, qu- a, a quick story, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, th- this is how much like Philip I am. Uh, I, I inherited a green thumb from my from my grandmother, and and I don't mind saying that you know because I didn't like figure it out. I just inherited it from my grandmother. My grandmother in northeast Georgia once cut the top off a pineapple, planted it in a pot, and grew a pineapple. And the local paper came and did a special story on her. That's how much of a green thumb she had. Now I don't think I can do that, but I can put plants in the ground and I can set them up and I can, uh, you know, they typically don't die. You know, I'm 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 not the phenomenal gardener that Alan was talking about. You know, but um, I, I can I can do that. But I, so I inherited that from my from my grandmother. On my mother's side, my mother's side has like six engineers in the family, and, and so I, I inherited that particular mind for detail that just can't let go of things. So here's how this works out for me. Yesterday after I was preparing for sermon, you know, Leslie and the kids have gone to Tennessee, spend the weekend with her family. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to work on the flower bed that's just been neglected. And so I, I get out there, and I'm, 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 I'm gardening. I'm, do, you know, I'm doing all these things. I'm putting the plants here and plants there. I'm probably the only person who gardens with a tape measure. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm putting the plants out, and I've got my tape measure. You're three feet apart. You're three feet apart. The lower petalums are two feet, eight inches from the wall. They are three feet on center from each other. And, and, the, and the double bloom azaleas are, are one foot, six inches, no, sorry, one foot, ten inches from the border. Folks, I, I had to resist getting out a level to level up the blue point juniper. That, that's me. This is, this is what happens this is what happens when people marry and they have kids. Is messed up personalities get together. And here's Philip. Here, here's, here's Philip. Protocol, everything's got to be in line. You know, put everything together. And he meets Jesus and it wrecks his world. He later says when they're in the upper room and Jesus is talking to them about who he is. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And he says, and, and Philip says, show us the Father. And, and Jesus says, have I not been with you long enough? Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Philip had no category in his mind for that. Couldn't, couldn't grasp that. And yet, and, and yet he would follow Jesus. He would step out on faith and follow Jesus even on through the cross and on into the New Testament. Isn't this what the Lord does? He doesn't bring perfect people. He doesn't bring the cream of the crop. He doesn't go out and find this phenomenal MVP team. He looks for genuine seekers. He looks for people whose hearts are fertile ground for the growing of the grace of the gospel. Not people who are comf- comfort to him. What can you do for me, Jesus? How can you make my life better? How can you fix this marriage problem? How can you fix this addiction problem? How can you, how can you do this for me and lift me up? But to lay aside everything and come to him and say, I want to be with you. You're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a question this morning. Are you a genuine seeker? Where is your heart this morning? What is it that you want from Jesus? Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you. Praise you. I, I'm, I thank you for these stories of these men who lived in history and who were imperfect and who for all purposes couldn't shouldn't have gotten along. You called Matthew a tax collector who paid tribute to the Romans and then Simon who was the, z- who was the Jewish zealot and these two should have killed each other and yet you, you put them in the midst of this group of 12 and, and Jesus changes their lives. And I, and I look out and I, I see our church and I don't know everybody's story, but I know there are so many differences amongst us and yet the, go- the gospel brings us together. That we praise the honorable differences in one another. We, that we lean on each other. The Phillips need the Andrews. Father, the, the Peters need the... Andrews as well. Or may we lean on each other. May we exalt in the, the gifts that you have given to each one of us for the body has different gifts and is each one is needed. May we have hearts that genuinely seek you, want to see you glorified, want to see you lifted up. The disciples got nothing from Jesus. If, if anything, they lost everything in this world. And yet they gained Christ. May we walk today that we might gain Christ and we might know nothing but Him. May the overflow of Your pouring into our hearts go to others around us. We would be faithful to bring them to Jesus. We may not have all the right answers. I know I sir don't. They would bring them to the foot of the cross that they might see Jesus. We talk to others and, and when they ask questions and we bring, bring things up that we might say as Philip did, come and see. Bring them to the, to the cross. Bring them to the gospel. Bring them to the scriptures. Pray, Father, that for those that whom you're putting in our lives, Lord, that you would open their eyes, not for our glory, but for yours. That you might have preeminence in our life, in their life. For you are worthy of all our affection, all our praise, all of our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.